0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city.
1: Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed there each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power and godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you.
2: And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, but it also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him, Also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness.
0: This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, John and Crystal, for reading for us. So a few years ago, my wife and I were driving and we hit that intersection at around Camelback and Grand, where Grand crosses over. My wife was driving and I was sitting in the passenger seat. And as we pulled up to the stoplight there, there was a man out there who was asking for money. Now, we've sometimes responded by giving some things, sometimes not, sometimes responded by uh, having water bottles in our car or different things like that instead. Something about this man uh, just gave me like this gut feeling to say, don't roll down your window. So i that's what I said to my wife. Don't roll down your window. She goes, oh, but I have some change here. Let me just, I said, no, I, don't, I really don't think we should this time. So let me just give this guy some change. So she rolls down her window, and the guy comes up, and she gives him a handful of change. It was all we had. It was sitting there in the cup holder. Gives him a handful of change and he grabs it, and he starts to walk away, and then he mutters something under his breath. I can't repeat it here, but he called my wife an obscenity and threw the change back through the window at her. Now, I was in the passenger seat, and the light turned green, and my wife started driving. That's the only reason God kept me from doing something to that person. Thank God. But it was one of those, like, okay, there. This is why, you see, I told you. There's been lots of times when my wife can say, I told you so to me, and she's gracious enough not to. But I was like, I I told you. (laughs) We shouldn't have. Now, more recently, I could tell you about uh, Jordan and Kara, who we invited into our home that we met on the street so that they could do their laundry and sit there and eat dinner with us while they were waiting for their laundry. Or I can tell you about Justin, who I sat down at Burger King after I already ate and I bought him a meal and we had a good conversation. There's been moments where God has given us discernment to engage with people who are in need and to give freely what we have. And then there's been other moments where there's this discernment to say, maybe not right now. And, and I can't give you like a checklist on how to know when to do that and when not to. I can say, What led Peter and John in that moment was what had happened earlier in Acts that we've already explored, that the Spirit of God had come over them. And with the Spirit comes wisdom, and with the Spirit comes a direction and a leading. Now, it's very likely that Peter and John legitimately did not have any gold and silver. I don't think he lied to the man, right? I don't have any money to give you. But what did we just read at the end of chapter 2 last week? People were like selling their possessions in order to make sure everybody had what they needed. It's not far-fetched to think they could have easily gone back to their community of people said, hey, this guy, like he, he can't walk. He can't work. He has nothing. What do we have? Let's scrape something together for him, right? But in that moment, the spirit of God gave them this discernment to say, there's something else you need. There's something much deeper that you need here that goes far beyond some change. Because what's happening is this repetitive thing that's keeping this man in a cycle. It said daily, every day, his friends would come and just drop him off there outside the temple so that he could beg for some change as they came through. Now, the temple was meant to be a place where people who were in need could come and find need. But we read later through chapter three that they were in this area called Solomon's Colonnade. And if you like never toured a temple or never Google imaged a temple, you may not know what this means, right? Uh, but it's this outer area outside of the temple courts that was often called the, the women's colonnade because it's where they allowed women, but they weren't allowed to go any further inside, right? So women and crippled people, they could hang out there. This is not like a, the ideal church set up, okay, uh, where Jesus who welcomes all people in. But this was like, let's push aside those who we don't want around here. Now, they were meant to be able to go and get help, but instead they're out on this outer court here, waiting outside. And when people would come in who were allowed to go in, he would ask for money, and every single day they would have to do this because it wasn't getting him out of his situation, Right? And so he was in this cycle, this broken system that was not truly caring for his deeper need and his inability to meet it himself found Peter and John here at this moment saying, this dude's asking for change. We don't have any, but I got something way better for you. And then this miraculous thing happens. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Right? And that begs the question. So hold on a second. Like, why don't we see that now? Right? How come, how come we couldn't roll down our window that day and say, hey, man, I, I don't know what's going on with you, what animals you have, why you can't work, but like, in the name of Jesus, you're healed? Why didn't we do that? Now, how, how come we can't just miraculously make people get up and walk today? And I would say that question that, that gets asked so often, I would say we probably aren't looking good enough. Because actually, there's all kinds of stories of that stuff happening, even still today, all over the world, usually happening in places where there's more of a felt need for the power of God to show up. And my opinion here is that we are so comfortable, we are so naturalistic in our thinking, that if there's a need, well, I can meet it with these things I have here, right? If there's a need, I I know what system to go to, to tap into. If there's a need, let me just work a little bit harder. And so we miss out on the miraculous things of God when he shows up to meet a need that we can't meet for ourselves. But even still, even in America, even as comfortable as we are, if you look hard enough, you will find those stories. You will meet those people. But more than that, an even better answer to that, I think, is what was God doing in this moment? Sure, he let a man who couldn't walk, walk. But there were hundreds, maybe thousands of people just like that, right? When Jesus was actually walking on this earth, he healed a lot of people, but he didn't heal everybody. And it seems like he was very intentional and where he went and what he did for a reason. And so just like we saw earlier on in Acts, that the Spirit of God comes over Jesus' followers, and suddenly they start speaking, and a crowd hears them in multiple languages. This miraculous thing that we said was kind of an unnecessary miracle because they all had a common language of the Greek they would have shared. But they could hear them in their hometown native language and go, oh, this good news of Jesus, it applies to me and my people too, right? God was doing something bigger there than just a miracle of you can hear a language and understand a language he couldn't before, right? He was doing something deeper to pull a community together and unite them around the restorative work of Jesus. And I think that's what's happening here too. Yes, he healed a man. It wasn't Peter and John. These guys aren't anything special in themselves. They said, in the name of Jesus. Now, that, we, we know that phrase, right? We end all of our prayers like that. In Jesus' name, amen, right? And it's like these magical words that we, if you don't say it, the prayer's not over, right? Or it's, it's not gonna happen. So, in Jesus' name, amen. What does that mean? Actually, what that meant for them was something much more significant. It meant that they were carrying the name of Jesus, carrying the authority of Jesus with them, carrying the power of Jesus. Like my sons who walk around with my last name, they are representing our family. And what's happening here is Peter and John recognize we are representatives of Jesus, and it's his power that's gonna let this man walk now. And so what is Jesus doing that for? This man can walk, that's great. His life has changed and absolutely, like Jesus cares about that man. But something deeper is about to happen too. What takes place next? People start seeing this man walking, right? They know that he couldn't walk before. They've seen him there every day, begging for money. And then what do they do? Come running around making a crowd, making a scene. What is happening is their question. And then what? Peter, just like in Acts 2, when a crowd started coming going, how is this happening with all these languages? And a crowd starts forming. Peter starts sharing Jesus with them. I think this is very intentional. This man who was there every single day at the temple, this moment after the spirit has come, he's healed now so that not just for this man, yes, for him too, but so that also this whole crowd of people would find true healing. A whole crowd of people would form together and go, what is happening here? And Peter can tell them all about Jesus. Jesus who took on all of our sickness and all of our sin and all of our death that is owed to us. He took on the full weight of what we owed for our rebellion against God. And he takes him through this story, and he goes, do you remember this one that you had killed? It's pretty much the same speech he gave in Acts chapter 2 to that other crowd, right? He's got the same message over and over again. If you guys ever are, like, tired of me, I sound like I have the same message over and over again. I'm just trying to be like Jesus, okay? And Peter was trying to be like Jesus Jesus is always preaching of the kingdom. Peter's always preaching about Jesus. Hopefully, that's what I do too. Jesus. Jesus came. He lived the life we needed to live. He died the death we deserve to die. And then what happened? Jesus, this Jesus that you had put to death, he says, miraculously comes back to life. And it's that power, that power that healed this man. I love how he says to them, hey, hey, why are, you so, why are you so surprised at this? Like, well, Peter, because like this dude can't walk and we don't really have hospitals yet and like really good doctors and, you know. <laughs> why are you surprised by this? It's not us. The power of God did this. There's three key takeaways I want, I want us to, to look at right now. And I don't normally do this whole like pastor three point, alliterative sermon thing for you guys, but I'm just gonna be honest, like my mind's kind of all over the place this week. It has been all week. And so this is more for me than it is for you, okay? Uh, My wife's laughing because I use alliteration all the time actually, but I don't normally have three-point sermons. So all right, here here it is. (laughs) Here's three things I want us to take away from this miraculous story is that God shows up in the distractions of life that God calls us to be ready for discernment in those distractions. And he calls us to be ready to declare good news in the midst of those distractions. Peter and John, they were on their way to the temple. They're on their way to go pray. It was three o'clock in the afternoon, or your translation might say the ninth hour. It's the same thing. And this is a time that was consistent for them to go and do a daily prayer together at the temple. And so they're just going about their normal schedule right? Going about the routine. And as they're going, they're interrupted by someone in need. Years ago, my wife and I did this thing called apartment life, where we were basically uh, party planners at an apartment property. And we were trying to build community there and show Jesus with people. And so we had these events we had to put on every single month. We would throw barbecues, pancake breakfasts, movies at the pool, all kinds of things like that. And as we would be preparing for one of those big events, those usually the times when we would get in a fight, right? Because <laughs> we're we're stressed out and we're trying to make something happen. But also we we believe because like spiritual warfare, like the enemy's trying to take our eyes off of what God's going to do in that moment. Uh, but also it was usually the time when somebody would interrupt us. We had this one neighbor, a lady, Joanne, who lived right next door to us. And every time we would come out the door to try to go get ready for the the event, she would also come out. It's like she knew. She could hear our door open, right? She'd come out, and she would talk with us. And there would be long conversations. And we felt like, hey, hey, let's just, uh, can we come over for coffee later and like continue this conversation because we got to go? But what we found, what we found was actually God was calling us into those interruptions in life, to those distractions. God was showing up. That was the work of ministry, to be present with her. And we had these deep and beautiful and wonderful conversations around the gospel together. And we learned that lesson then, and we saw it play out over and over and over again throughout the years, that usually what we think are the distractions of our daily routine I don't have time for this, It's usually God trying to go, hey, hey, hey. no, here's my agenda. Here's what I'm up to today. Do you want to come be a part of it? Sorry, God, I got got to go, right? (laughs) I don't have time for these people. I don't have time for what you're doing. I, I got this thing over here. And this is important too, right? Sure it is, but I'm trying to do something miraculous here. God's inviting us into his schedule and his agenda and his miracles. If we would just take the time to stop and see it. But we also, we do need some discernment, right? In those distractions. Because not every distraction is from the Lord, right? And also, not every distraction is going to be fruitful. And uh, not every distraction is going to be safe. Like the story when we were driving and we got changed thrown back in our window. Sometimes it requires discernment, but the reason Peter and John were ready for this moment was because the Spirit was with them, and they were walking in the Spirit, and they were walking in obedience to go and pray and worship the Lord and to be about the business of Jesus. Now, I said it was kind of routine. for what they were doing, going to the temple to pray at three o'clock. It was for most Jewish people, but for Peter and John, who had been following Jesus and just preached to a whole crowd of thousands of people about Jesus, who was murdered in that city, wasn't exactly a routine thing. This is why I say they were walking in obedience with the power of the Spirit, because they knew, it's the whole reason Peter denied Jesus when they first came and captured Jesus. He knew if I'm associated with this, I could be killed too. They just preached to thousands of people about this Jesus. They could be captured, imprisoned, beaten, and possibly killed. And they're going to the temple to go pray. They're walking in the power of the Spirit, and they're walking in obedience to what God has called them to. And because of that, they were able to have what they needed and to have discernment in that moment. And to be able to, not just to discern, do we enter into this distraction, but to discern, what does this man actually need right now? Right? We, we can give him change, but there's something better. And then it continues, because the Spirit is with them, it continues to flesh out that they then are prepared to declare to even more people. Without fear of being captured and killed, or maybe the fear was there, but they didn't let it stop them with the boldness that Jesus had when he went to the cross because the spirit of Jesus is now within them. God draws his crowd and they start declaring good news to everybody. Now here's the thing about his good news sermon, right? It actually starts with some pretty bad news. It starts with this, you guys had Jesus murdered. It starts with their sin, their rebellion against what God's doing. They're saying, no, no, we have this agenda, God. We're not entering into your agenda. He starts with what's wrong, right? But they're willing to listen because God had already shown up and done a good work. And he doesn't stay there in their sin. Jesus already took the penalty for that sin. And so he says, listen, I I know you did this in ignorance. You didn't know any better. Weren't those Jesus's words on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I know you did this in ignorance, and I know your leaders did it in ignorance. You didn't know what you were doing, but now you know. Let me show you a better way. And he quickly moves them into the Good news. Good news you are not condemned for that act. You are not going to be punished for what you've done in your past. Jesus wants to welcome you into his community. And the same spirit who's empowered us to heal this man will empower you for your life too, if that is what you are willing to enter into. Will you enter into the distraction that Jesus is causing in your life right now? Because he's trying to get your attention. They all should have been praying at three in the afternoon right then. And instead, they're hearing the sermon because God was up to something and he was getting their attention. Are you willing to enter into that? Because he wants you to enter into his presence too. Now, I don't know about if if this church community right here is going to be able to go out and like start healing people, right? But I know what the spirit was trying to do here he's still trying to do today he's still trying to call people in to his community he's still working to bring full restoration to all things. Not everyone will get up and walk today or tomorrow or the next day, but one day Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus returns, all those who have trusted in him, who have entered into the interruptions of their life to say, yes, I want Jesus's life, I wanna follow that, will be able to walk with him forever in eternity in the fullness of life with healed bodies, with wholeness of realities and relationships, with a renewed relationship with the creation, the earth. No longer will we work from it and toil and sweat, but we'll be able to actually produce life from it. And we'll be able to have life-giving interactions with one another, and we'll be able to have a life lived eternally with the presence of Jesus right here with us, face to face. Let that interrupt your life and your plans and your agendas, because that's good news. And so when we go out from this place today, may we go out expecting to see, to have eyes to see how God is peeking through the cracks of our world, peeking through the cracks of our our schedule, how God is breaking in, how his life is entering in. May we have eyes to see and the boldness, the boldness to be ready to declare what that is to the world around us, because that will give us true healing. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need your healing power. We need you to show up, Spirit. We need to follow in the life of Jesus. And as we do, God, we know that we are not promised things will be easy. We are not promised things will go smoothly. In fact, we are promised the way of Jesus. It led him to the cross. We are promised that we, too, will endure pain and hardship in this broken world. But we're also promised that you are with us through it all, your spirit present. And we're promised that we will come out on the other side of that, just as Jesus passed through death into the newness of life, that we too, if we are following Jesus, we will enter into the newness of life with you. So God, would you fill our hearts with that gladness and with that boldness to be able to live the life you call us to? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the hurts and the needs around us and the discernment, God, to know when to step into that and to bring something better? Do your work through this people. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to find in a couple weeks when we return to Acts, we're actually going to take a break from Acts for a while as we move into the season of Lent. We'll be looking at the letter to the seven churches in the beginning of Revelation. Anthony's going to be preaching our first sermon on that next week. Uh, But as we come back into Acts, you're going to find a third time that Peter gives this type of sermon, like an impromptu sermon in front of a crowd of people, and he uses the same phrase, you killed this Jesus, but God raised him, and we are witnesses of that. Now, I don't think it's an accident that Luke, who wrote Acts, ended the gospel account of Luke with Peter denying Jesus three times because he was afraid to be a witness of him. Then Jesus asking him three times, do you love me? And then in Acts 3, he starts it with three times that Peter says, boldly now with the Spirit, we are witnesses of Jesus. God is like restoring him, right? And and I bring that up right here at the end before we go to the table together to take communion because I want us to see that God was able to use Peter who ran and hid from him. And he wants to do the same in you and I. And what happened in between those moments was Jesus's death and his resurrection, and that's what we go to the table for now. We go to the table to remember that Jesus, the thing Peter ran and hid from, Jesus entered into. His body was beaten and bruised and whipped and broken and murdered, and his blood was spilled. And so when we go to the table, we take the bread that has been broken. We remember Jesus' body broken for us. When we dip it in the cup, we remember his blood poured out for us, that he took on the penalty of our rebellion. But we go back to our seats and we sing again because we remember that he did not stay in the grave, that he rose again into the newness of life. And that is everything. That's why we're here. That's why we celebrate. That's why we reform and reshape our lives around this because that is our source of life. So Peter told them, you killed the source of life, but he came back. and Now you can have the source of life too.